Good morning and welcome to Monday morning, November the 27th in 2023 on When I Rise. Today we begin year B, the first Sunday of Advent. And on the Monday of the week, we'll take a look at the Old Testament passage, which comes to us from this week from the Revised Common Lectionary and this week of the church's calendar year. So we find ourselves not in the Old Testament stories, in the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. So let me read that passage provide a couple points for reflection, and then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and meet God together in a time of prayer. Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to help those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we all are, are your people. This is the word of God for us. All right, so today we begin a new year in the Revised Common Lectionary. The church calendar year actually starts in Advent. So this is the this Sunday coming up is the first Sunday of Advent. Four Sundays lead us to Christmas Day and then to the season of Christmas, to Epiphany, and so on and so on. And so uh, we turn from year A to year B. So I don't know if you felt it in the cosmos, but uh, we've some change has happened. In fact, you know, when our eyes is trying to keep up, we actually changed the the icon of the podcast to designate the new year. So you're trying to pick it out just by plain sight. As you know, you're trying to drive through traffic and pick out when I rise on the way to work. Uh, you're like, Where, where's that icon? Well, the color changed. The look has changed because the years changed. So I'm sorry for changing things up on you so fast. Uh, but we start a new year and uh, we start the new year on a Monday. Look at the Old Testament text. And just like other seasons of Advent that we've had, if you can recall, a lot of times they'll sub out the Old Testament readings for uh, some of these prophetic readings because the season of Advent, and we don't do this a lot in the American church, but uh, Advent is supposed to mimic this idea of waiting, of a promise yet fulfilled. And so we actually live into the great drama of Scripture. So you can imagine this for several generations, for a few centuries, um, the Jewish people, after enduring so much at the hands of empire after empire coming to wreak havoc upon them, uh, they're trying to stabilize their community. They're trying to get the worship of God going again. 
And they're beginning to wrestle with the big questions, and it actually comes onto the surface of Isaiah 64 here. So we see it best in the prophetic texts of the people of Abraham, wondering, like, are we still the people of God? Or has God moved on uh, to another group of people? And uh, this is the question that they wrestle with, which is why, even though these are the the toughest parts of the Bible, uh, when you get into the writing prophets of Isaiah and forward, uh, the minor prophets, and you know, towards the end of the Old Testament, uh, you know, the Old Testament text, these are tough. Like whenever your daily devotion begins to rattle off these, like don't you just pause and say, "Oh boy, this is going to be a tough one." Like I get in, need another cup of coffee before I dive in here. It's because there's so much geopolitically going on in ancient Israel at the time that if we don't have it in our heads and some of the main players. Uh, we will, these things will like these words will kind of fall on deaf ears, and then we will, like we begin to uh, loosen them from their actual story, and we begin to kind of chop them down into like coffee mug messages, right? Like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven is the best you know example of all this. If we lift that from the context; it does sound beautiful, but if you actually put it back into its context, like this is actually you know in the middle of a, a message of doom for the people of God. Like they're going to be carried off into exile. But after 70 years, but 70 years of hardship, uh, then God will deliver them. And because he knows the plans that he has for them. So like it's best to kind of situate these things in their uh, original context, which is just a good way to start with the Bible. I think for a long time, many of us have been taught, particularly in the American church, we have this hermeneutic, right? Of what does this have to do for my personal you know, isolated devotional life. We need to read scripture with another lens. And the best way that we could do it is say, what would this have meant to the first audience that heard it? And that's not us, right? And so we actually have to be hospitable to the text. Um, it's probably going to require us getting a maybe a study Bible that at least gives us a hint of what's going on. Um, you can also go to YouTube. Uh, man, the Bible Project's got so many great videos. It helps get us into the situation of the story. Um, you could get some bigger books off the shelf. Uh, man, you could probably go to your used bookstore and get a, a Bible dictionary, and it'll help get you into the context of these things, which helps us to read the Scripture so richly. Because we get to enter into the world of the Bible, and then we get to come back into our own world and say, okay, how did they hear this message then? And how can we hear it today? And um, it's a lot of work, but we actually have a greater affinity for the Bible story. And we probably get closer and closer to its original message before people get their grubby hands on it, begin to shape the Bible's message into something that they'd have, rather have the Bible say instead of the Bible being the living word, the breathing living word of God that continue to inspire us today. Okay. Rant aside, what's going on in Isaiah? Well, if we go to Isaiah, Isaiah is reckoning with the sins of Israel. Okay, like if, if you get to the, just to the first few uh, verses of our passage, you think that um, Isaiah and his contemporaries feel like they are innocent. Right? They're talking about God raising himself up against his enemies. Look at verse 2. As a fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. So, this initially seems like a prayer and a plea for God to be weaponized against the enemies of Israel. But then we go further, right? And this is where it gets uncomfortable. It says in verse 5, You come to help those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you were angry. And then this provocative question, How then can we be saved? 
Okay, so Isaiah's honest. He's like, if we're going to reckon with what's going on in the world today, we can't cover up the world and say, well, we're the good guys, they're the bad guys. And so God, deliver your world from all of its plight, aka, could you like go to war against our enemies and keep us safe? No, Isaiah's like, certainly we need to have, be spared from the, the terror of our enemies. But there's also something deep within us that needs to be amended. And so once again, like this is the question, one of the governing theological, pastoral, and personal questions the Israelites were asking in the waning parts of the Old Testament. Are we still God's covenant people? Or have we failed? I mean, if we go to the end of Deuteronomy, like there's like these stark terms of the covenant. Like if God says, if you follow your ways, like I'll protect you. If you if you don't follow my ways, like then there has to be some sort of a judgment and a chastisement because of it. And so Israel's just reckoning with their own scriptures. They're reckoning with their own story. And they're asking, are we still the covenant people of God? But notice this like silver lining, this hope that happens at the end of this passage in verse eight. How rich is this? How rich is this message here? Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. So don't be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. This is the secret that the Jews believe, that even though that they could deal very in a real way with their sins and you know, their sins were abomination against God, they knew they were in covenant. And they knew that God's covenant was going to endure. I mean, anymore, whenever somebody asks me, like, is is like once saved, always saved the right perspective for Christians? Or can we throw away our salvation? Because there really are New Testament texts that would support both sides. And I kind of take a middle ground. The middle ground is, I believe that God's mercy is stronger than my ability to try to get out of God's family. And I think that that's what we see here in Isaiah 64. So as you and I reckon with our own shortcomings in our own life, we can be real in dealing with them. We don't have to justify them. We don't have to spin them. We don't have to blame them on other people in order to kind of alleviate the weight uh, of the wrongdoing that's in our own life. And we can also know that God is our Father, that He will not remember our sins forever. That He's going to separate them from us as far as the East is from the West. And He will forgive us. And this is what we begin to discern and begin to sense as we get closer and closer to Christmas. The God's a forgiving God. He's going to take on human flesh and give us a Savior so that we can be rescued from our sins. So with those things in mind, Let's spend some time praying to our God this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the season of Advent. It teaches us what it means to be in the in-between, to know that God's promises are true, but to be waiting upon them, to see them fulfilled. We thank you that many centuries ago, you fulfilled promises by sending Jesus to be a Savior for the world, and so we cling to that Savior once more. But we also know that you have more promises that are yet to be fulfilled, promises to restore and amend the whole universe. And so this day, we pray that we might be those who uh, seek earnestly to see the, the universe mended in the way that we live life, in the way that we make friends and dwell in community and work in our jobs and excel in studies at school. We just simply pray that we might be counted among your covenant people who know that we can reckon with sins honestly and still trust in the Heavenly Father who forgives sins. And then be sent out into this world as messengers and as servants to continue to see this world patched up until Jesus is revealed at the end. So God, help us to that end, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <music>